Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. I'll be discussing the use of CT and CT angiography for the diagnosis of mesenteric ischemia. This is going to be a three-part lecture. The first part is going to discuss the anatomy of the mesenteric vessels in the small bowel and discuss appropriate CT protocols. The second part will be a detailed description and discussion of acute mesenteric ischemia, and the third part will discuss chronic mesenteric ischemia. When imaging the small intestine and the mesenteric arteries, it's very important to pay particular attention to the type of oral contrast that you're using. Now, traditionally, we use positive oral contrast agents in CT, and those are the agents that look white on a CT scan. So traditionally, we either use the barium suspensions, like the 2% Barricat, or more recently, we use the iodinated solution. So these are the Hypags or Omnipag that you mix with water. When giving positive oral contrast agents, there are some limitations when imaging the small bowel and the mesenteric arteries because the bowel will look white as well as the bowel wall as well as the vessels. So usually when we're looking at the small intestine and the mesenteric arteries, and in particular when we're looking at patients with suspected mesenteric ischemia, we will give neutral contrast agents. So these agents have density similar to water. So the easiest neutral contrast agent to use is water, but there are others such as methyl cellulose solutions, polyethylene glycol solutions, or very, very dilute barium solutions. So a new contrast agent on the market is volumin, and that's 0.1% barium. So there's only a tiny bit of barium in there, and the density is very similar to water. Now the advantages of using these neutral contrast agents is they will look low density within the lumen of the small intestine so you can see the enhancing wall and also you you won't have to edit out the bowel when you're trying to look at the vessels so usually we use water and it's about a thousand cc's of water that's administered prior to the study and then an extra cup when the patient's on the table to make sure the stomach and the duodenum is distended just to be complete, I want to mention that there's a third type of oral contrast agent that you can use, and these are negative agents. So they have negative Hounsfield units on a CT scan. There are some fat or oil-based agents like peanut oil, but it's not really practical to give patients peanut oil, although it actually is a very good agent for the small intestine because then you have fat density in the lumen and fat density outside the lumen. But we don't use those in clinical practice. One group of radiologists use milk, and whole milk in particular is 4% fat. So unlike water, which is emptied very quickly from the stomach and moves quickly through the small intestine, if you use milk as an oral contrast agent, because of the fat, it's emptied a little slower, and so you get maybe a little better distension. You could use air or carbon dioxide to look at the small intestine, but at this point there's no non-invasive way to administer it. So most people who are doing GI imaging at this time are using water or one of the other neutral agents. This slide illustrates why the use of a low density oral contrast agent is very helpful when you're looking at the small intestine. In the upper row you can see that we have a high density intraluminal agent and so that would be like the barricats or the hypags. So when you give IV contrast the wall of the small intest intestine enhances brightly so it will look white as well. So if you have white intraluminal contents and a white wall sometimes you lose the definition between the contrast in the wall and the contrast in the lumen. Where if you're using a low density agent for wa like water, for example, then it will remain low density. So when you give the IV contrast and the wall enhances, you'll be able to see that enhancement very nicely. 
we use water as our oral contrast agent when imaging the small intestine and the mesenteric arteries. The advantages are it's inexpensive and well tolerated. Most patients can tolerate drinking a liter of water. You'll get good enhancement of the bowel wall. And then when you do your 3D imaging, in particular when you're looking at the mesenteric vessels, you won't need to edit out the bowel. Now, there is one disadvantage of using water. It's emptied very quickly from the stomach. So you have to remember to give that extra cup before you start the scan. And also, because it's absorbed, sometimes the distal small bowel, the terminal ileum in particular, isn't well distended. Now, you can get around that by giving glucagon, if you like, or I've noticed that if you just give a good IV contrast bolus, you'll be able to see the enhancing wall of the intestine, and you can be confident that you're not missing anything, even though it's not completely distended, because you'll see the normal enhancing fold pattern and the normal enhancing wall. This slide just mentions a recent article looking at the different types of oral contrast agents. In particular, they looked at volumin, which is that very, very dilute barium solution, and methyl cellulose. And they wanted to see, is there a difference? And what they did is they looked at 60 patients, and group 1 was given the volumin, group 2 was given the methyl cellulose solution, and they felt that the volumin gave better distension and better demonstration of the wall enhancement. And the attenuation of the volume, and remember it's very dilute barium, was 20 to 40 Hounsfield units. So I think in the literature in the next couple of years, you're going to see more published specifically at looking at different types of neutral oral contrast agents to see which is better when doing CT. Also, when you're scanning the patient, because you're going to be looking at mesenteric vessels, which are very small, you want to use the thinnest collimation possible. So on our 64-slice scanner, we use the 0.6-millimeter collimators. We make 0.75-millimeter slices, and then we reconstruct every 0.5-millimeters. That is the volume set we use when we look at the 3D images, and so we transfer that volume to the 3D workstation. If we're looking at the other organs, you don't want to look at very thin slices because it'll look grainy. So then we would use 3 to 5 millimeter slices when we're looking at the other organs on film or on a PAX workstation. The patient's abdomen is scanned from the diaphragm all the way through the symphysis pubis. When you're looking at the mesenteric vessels, you're going to have to do two phases. So you have an arterial phase and that will let you see the mesenteric arteries and then a venous phase which will let you see the mesenteric veins. So that's 30 seconds is the arterial phase scan and 60 seconds would be a venous phase scan. You have to do both or you won't get good visualization of both the arteries and the veins. Also you absolutely need to give IV contrast otherwise you're not going to be able to say anything about the vasculature. So we usually use 120 cc's of non-ionic contrast and you need a good peripheral IV catheter line because you're going to be injecting at at least three cc's per second. Preferably it will be five cc's a second. Just remember when you scan early and you give a large fast bolus of IV contrast that the small bowel enhancement will be dramatic and you don't want to overcall small bowel thickening when it's actually just the normal blush of enhancement. Here's an example of the duodenum. And you can see each of the individual folds in the duodenum. And this is the type of detail you can get when you use water as an intraluminal agent and good IV contrast. You can see each of the little folds in the small intestine. Here's another example of the normal appearance of the small bowel. 
So the water is going to fill the lumen. You're going to have good IV contrast. So you're going to see the normal fold pattern of the duodenum and jejunum. The jejunum is usually in the left upper quadrant, and there's many folds. As you move into the right lower quadrant, into the ilium, you'll have less folds, and that's the normal bowel pattern. You want to make sure that there's a smooth transition from the jejunum to the ilium, so you'll have more folds to less folds. The wall of the bowel should only be a couple millimeters in thickness, especially if it's maximally distended. The terminal ilium is the last portion of the small intestine as it enters the ileocecal valve, and there are very few folds in that segment. So what you want to do is usually when you're evaluating the small intestine, you want to be coronal, and then you can use your cut planes when you're doing 3D reconstruction to look at each individual fold and follow the small bowel from the duodenum to the jejunum to the ileum to make sure that you're looking at each segment. Here's another example of using water as intraluminal contrast and you have nice regular folds in the left upper quadrant. This is loop of jejunum. You can see the type of detail that you can get. Here's another example showing the small bowel loops as well as the mesenteric vessels because remember we're looking at the entire small intestine when we look for mesenteric ischemia but we also have to look at the mesenteric vessels. Here's another example just showing a normal bowel fold pattern of the small intestine and the terminal ileum. The way you display information is very important. So clinicians are often used to barium as an oral contrast agent and they're used to small bowel series. So sometimes if you're using CT and you're using water as oral contrast, you may want to display the information in a coronal format because that's what clinicians are used to looking at. And just by changing the ramp and the display information on your 3D workstation, you can change the water and make it look white so it actually looks like barium. And in these cases, this is two examples of using water as oral contrast and I can just change the density of the water on the workstation to make it look darker or make it look whiter. So sometimes if you just display the information differently instead of just axial slices, if you show coronals and you make the water look like barium, then you can avoid then doing a barium study. Okay, moving away from the way the bowel looks, we also have to look at the mesenteric vessels in these patients. There are three main arteries that feed the gut. The first is the celiac axis. This supplies the foregut. So basically from the esophagus, the lower esophagus through the second portion of the duodenum. The most common branches, or the first branches, are the common hepatic, the splenic, and the left gastric. And then the gastroduodenal is the first branch off the common hepatic artery. So this is important on a CT scan because this is an important collateral pathway between the celiac axis and the SMA. So for example, if you have stenosis of the celiac axis at its origin, you'll see a dilated gastroduodenal artery because blood will be flowing through the SMA, through the gastroduodenal, and then to the common hepatic artery. The second major branch is the superior mesenteric artery, or SMA, and this supplies the midgut. So this would be the third and fourth portion of the duodenum, then the jejunum, ileum, right colon, transverse colon to the splenic flexure. The exact transition from the SMA to the IMA is variable in most patients. It's usually transverse colon or around the splenic flexure. The important collateral pathway between the SMA and the IMA are the marginal artery of Drummond and the arc of Riolan. And these are very important when we have stenosis of the SMA, for example. Then you'll see that these vessels are dilated as blood flows from the IMA to the SMA. 
The third major artery is the inferior mesenteric artery, or IMA, and this supplies the colon, basically from the splenic flexure to the rectum, and it has several branches, left colic, marginal, sigmoid, superior hemorrhoidals. And the important collateral from the IMA, in addition to the arc of Riolan and the marginal artery of Drummond, is there are collateral pathways between the IMA and the systemic system. So basically, IMA can flow through the hemorrhoidal branches, um, sacral artery, back to the internal iliac artery. So that's another collateral pathway between the mesenteric vasculature and the systemic arteries. Here's an example. Now, usually when you're looking at the mesenteric vessels, especially when you're looking at the origin, you want to be in a sagittal projection. And here you can see the aorta, the celiac axis, and the SMA. So this is a good way to look at the very proximal portions of the vessels. Here's another example of a sagittal projection where you can see the celiac and the SMA. And then this is an axial oblique where you can see branches of the celiac, basically the splenic going over to the left where the spleen is, and then the common hepatic. When you're looking at the superior mesenteric artery, although the sagittal projection is helpful when you're looking at its proximal portion, to really evaluate its branches, you need to be looking coronal. And here you can see there are jejunal branches, ilio branches, iliocolic, right colic branches. So you really have to be coronal and slightly oblique in order to see all the vessels. Here's another example of the SMA showing the branching pattern. This is a combed down view of the iliocolic artery. So these are the terminal branches of this supplying the right colon. Anatomic variants are very common, so you need to get used to seeing them. This is a common trunk of the celiac and the SMA, so it's arising from a single trunk from the aorta. This is another common anatomic variant where the right hepatic is arising from the superior mesenteric artery instead of the celiac axis. When the celiac axis arises from the aorta, it usually comes off at an angle, as you can see here, and then the SMA is below it. In some patients, you'll see a little kink there in the proximal portion of the celiac axis, and that's a normal structure called the median arcuate ligament, which unites the crura of the diaphragm. So it's a little slip, and it usually crosses the aorta above the level of the celiac axis. But in about 15% of patients, it crosses a little bit low, and it will cause that little kink, which is just a normal variant. In a very small percentage of patients, the kink can be severe enough that it will cause celiac stenosis, and that's known as median arcuate ligament syndrome. This is an example of the IMA. So again, if you want to see the proximal portion of the IMA, you need to be in a sagittal projection. You can see it arising here from the aorta. So this is going to be several centimeters below the superior mesenteric artery. Then it extends into the pelvis where it will bifurcate into the superior hemorrhoidals. This is a coronal view showing the inferior mesenteric artery and its branches. This is a coronal view showing the very terminal branches of the inferior mesenteric artery supplying the left colon. And you can see these tiny vessels, which are basically the vasorecta supplying the surface of the bowel. So this is the type of detail that you can get when you use multi-detector CT and CT angiography. In addition to the arteries that supply the gut, we also need to look at the veins. And the veins are a little bit easier. Basically, the portal vein brings blood flow to the liver, and it 
obtains blame, uh, blood from two supplies, basically the superior mesenteric vein and the inferior mesenteric vein. And the inferior mesenteric vein usually joins the splenic vein. So you have the splenic vein, superior mesenteric vein join to form the portal vein. So blood from the intestine goes to the inferior mesenteric vein, superior mesenteric vein, joins the splenic vein, and then ultimately is carried to the liver through the portal vein. When looking at the veins, obviously you're going to be in the venous phase of acquisition, and usually it's coronal or coronal oblique projection, and you nicely can see the confluence of the veins. So superior mesenteric vein, inferior mesenteric vein, splenic vein, that's the left gastric vein, and they all join the portal vein. There are variations where the inferior mesenteric vein join the portal system. It can join the superior mesenteric vein or the splenic vein or at the little angle where the splenic vein and superior mesenteric vein join. Um, but it's just a normal variant and it usually is not clinically significant. Now, normal blood flow to the bowel in a resting state, about 20% of cardiac output is actually delivered to the small intestine. After a meal, this increases to about 35%. So this is very important because when we discuss patients, especially patients with chronic mesenteric ischemia, they may only have symptoms after a meal when the cardiac output that's delivered to the intestine increases, and that's when they have their symptoms because it kind of exacerbates the stenosis that's there. Now, in certain situations, such as hypotension or trauma, your body will actually reduce blood flow to the gut because it's trying to preserve blood flow to more critical organs such as the heart, the lungs, and the brain. But normally about 20% of the blood flow is going to the intestine at any time.